Welcome to the Opening Up Cricket podcast. We're talking sport, fitness and mental health. Today we're going to be talking about challenges or perhaps more importantly the difference in how people approach challenges. Do you consider it a problem or do you consider it a challenge, something that you can actually solve, something which is positive even if at the first point of reference it seems to be something which doesn't have any good to come out of it. And today uh, I've been at the Wacker having a good look around and um, interacting with people and I'm uh, joined by Barbie Devshan who plays here who is not just a player but also does a lot of coaching as well and we're going to talk about her experience in cricket both from a playing perspective and a coaching perspective but using her journey as a, a, a reference point for for challenge and how she's dealt with challenges how sometimes there's been been quite uh, profound ones how she's managed to then develop to the point she's at now where she feels much more comfortable in dealing with those kind of things so first of all first of all hello hi Mark thanks for having me oh yeah okay so just talk to me briefly about what your 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 background is in terms of how you first came to play cricket and I ask this because it might not be as obvious a, a sport to play for a young girl as it might be uh, a young lad so what was it that made you make the step to start picking up a bat and ball? Yeah so I've actually had a little bit of a different background to most Aussies in that I was born in Zimbabwe and my family is of Indian origin so cricket you could say is in our blood. Um, Always used to run around in the backyard playing with my younger brother or my dad. Um, Moved to Australia when I was eight years old and when my dad actually took my brother down to sign him up for cricket when he was five or six and found out there happened to be a girls' team there. So it was the only girls' team within 20, 30 kilometres of us and luckily enough it was the one just next door. Um, so it took me down, knew I liked pretty much any and all sports and from there just haven't stopped and that's now 13, 14 years where I've literally just loved it. Okay, so that's quite... Going back that length of time to have had a, a girls' or women's section at the club is pretty progressive, uh, yeah. if you think about that. Um, certainly speaking to players of the same kind of age as yourself over in England, it would have been their experience that they would have been within a boys' section and then had to kind of fight their way out of that and see what the pathways were. So from that point then of playing your junior stuff and having your initial interaction with it, how did the the transition from playing at the club to then being recognised on a state level happen? Yeah, so as you said, when I first started, there were five girls' teams in the whole of Perth. Um, now there's well over 100, so it's a lot easier. But even back then, a lot of the girls I play with now started off in the men's or in the boys' setup. Um, so the growth is exceptional. But for me, the transition... I reckon I'd been playing for about two years before I first got a look in at... There was only an under-17 state team. I was 13 at the time, the first time I came in. Um, And there's probably a range of us girls in that setup. My first year, I trained with the state squad right up until the end and then got dropped because I only take 13 away, which at the time I was pretty upset. But 
I also knew I was only 13, so <laughs> there were plenty more years to come. And so the next year, same thing happened, was lucky enough to get selected in that team and I played in every year in the state setup, um, just right through to when I, the, the competition actually moved to under 18s when I turned 18, so I managed to sneak in an extra year as well and then transitioned straight into the Fury after that. So it was pretty stock standard for me, like I went straight through the pathway and because there's not a huge amount of girls playing, if you had some sort of coordination, you'd get a look in. Right. And then if you, because I loved it so much, I was always training, um, you, you slowly get better within the system. Sure, yeah. yeah. Now that is, is a good contrast with perhaps a very crowded group of, of players that would be in certain states or counties in the UK where to get to that representative level is... Uh, a, a different kind of challenge whereas here I think it, it would be would it be right to say that the, the challenge would be that you were kind of quite used to being involved in that setup yeah so when there would be some of the, the challenges that we're going to talk about later that must be something that's quite difficult to deal with because not saying you feel entitled to be part of it but if you're used to anything and that's then changed that can be something quite um quite tricky now alongside that then you've had a yeah the age of eight you moved to Australia very soon after you become involved with girls cricket made this progress through to and of course for those listening back at back at home in England you might say you play a county game you're playing uh, then a Lancashire against Durham that's a decent road trip by UK standards a couple of hours in the car but playing stuff against uh, other states here involves a, a lot of travel and a lot of yeah. acclimatisation. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's that, that's one thing to kind of for people to maybe reflect on. But what barriers did you find outside? So within the sport, you, you've you've made that development. But what barriers were there? Do you think to progress to to progressing perhaps on a more cultural or societal level? Yeah. So like. I suppose I have a pretty unique background in my grandparents are Indian so I've got and that tradition has come on both sides of the family has come down through to me and I'm also obviously a female cricketer so there's a couple of different dynamics to what your stereotypical cricketer looks like um, and for me like I'm the first person in my family and extended family to even think about sport as a profession or have the opportunity is probably the, the better way to put it to have sport as a profession and it was a little bit different for my parents growing up as well thinking that oh hang on like I went to uni I could have I was thinking about dentistry or medicine or something different like that but I was just so obsessed with cricket and sport that I studied sport um, like a sports science and an exercise physiology based degree and so the cultural point of view it was like oh well cricket's not going to last forever so why are you putting so much into it? But that's all I wanted to do. And at the end of the day, that's actually progressed to me having a career and also having more options as a career after I'm finished playing. Um, so it, it is a different bit culture on the female side of things. I think I'm probably with the generation that's growing with the game in Australia, like we're catching the front end of how quickly it's growing. Um, five years ago, we'd basically get pocket money type of allowances to cover expenses now it's a part-time job and I reckon in five years' time all of the girls will be full, full-time at the next sort of lot of contracts that mm. come through. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to be part of. Yeah, yeah. And that's a thing which is useful to, to consider that 
a lot of people would look at sports in terms of a career as being uh, just their ideal thing. Most a lot of people growing up, if you to say, what would you want to do for a living? I want to be a professional footballer, cricketer, rugby, whatever it is. When maybe the the sacrifice isn't acknowledged as much because, of course, there's the sacrifice in terms of um, the training, having to to commit those hours to that, but also sacrificing the alternatives. So you mentioned there, the possibility of maybe wanting to go down the route of dentistry or medicine, and once people are qualified in that and find work, it's not guaranteed you've got income, but it's pretty steady, and you've got that which you can do until you retire, whereas cricket is a a gamble. It is something which people perhaps from the outside don't realise that people who do that have to be pretty sure of themselves that that's what they want to do. So uh, that would have taken you towards the, the, the bit where, say you've, you've mentioned there, the under-17s, they're moving into under-18s. What challenges did you, uh, have, did you have as you got towards that latter point of your teens where you're moving more towards not being one of the group of players that is good at an age level but then looking to say well okay take away any of those barriers about you're this old you're that old you're competing with everyone what challenges does that present to you yeah it's actually quite interesting for the majority of sports and particularly the male side where there's more competition that's a massive leap so to go from age group setup to an open setup it's a lot harder there's a lot more people there's a lot more competition but if I'm honest in WA we actually didn't have that much competition coming through um, and a lot of the girls in the sort of when I was 17 the girls in the 25 mid 20s age group they were starting to step out of the game because the commitment required to train that hard and to put in the hours compared to the pay which was basically nothing was not there so if these girls want to get careers start families um, do all these other things they just couldn't cope with cricket so what happened is there was actually a big hole in the system so although the, the stock standard issue is there's a lot of challenges going up, for me, I just kind of finished up under 18s and there was a group of us that are all still playing together now that kind of almost just said, oh, what's the next step? Well, we go play for the Fury. The challenges probably came a little bit later on once the competition really started to heat up, whereas that transition period, if I'm honest, it wasn't as hard as it. Definitely not right now. The girls coming through, really challenging. Mm. Like You've got to step up your game, you've got to learn, you've got to open up and be like, okay, wow, there's actually, I've got a lot of work to do. There's a big jump. Um, whereas back then, probably got away with it a little bit. Okay. So it's a little bit more like the, they say, the under-18s, the, the, those formative teams then, for you, your next step was quite naturally yeah. into playing for, for the, the highest level that you can at that point within the States. Now... Once you've reached that, that point, um, we, we reach a time where, in fact, we were talking earlier with the staff here at the WACA for Are You OK Day about the importance of conversations around m- mental health and, and, and letting people be available to help you and to build these kind of supportive environments. And you spoke about um, some of the anxiety that you, you, you came across when your career was from the outside perhaps starting to look like it was more exciting and more opportunities than ever but that for yourself led to some periods where you you found things pretty pretty tough and pretty difficult so what was the the catalyst 
for that phase of your career where things did seem to get tougher, particularly mentally? Yeah, so I think, as I said, that first year I kind of got into fury. I debuted straight away. Um, but then the back end of that first season, I actually got dropped from the side and there were a whole bunch of really good cricketers, a couple of years younger than me, coming through. And that's where it started to sort of bubble under the surface. I don't think I was consciously aware of it, but I was starting to be a little bit more scared of, you know what, if I go out here and I fail today, there's a consequence to it. Um, so if you're... That, I suppose that mindset just started building up. Every time I went to play, I was always playing for something else. And this is probably two years into my Fury career, um, and it was always, OK, I'm not... Rather than being out there say with the bat, to see the ball, hit it, make some runs, let's win this game. I was out there to play, to make sure I played in the next game. And that mindset just kept building and building. Um, and then probably at the time felt like horrendous timing where WBBL came in. And as we all know, that's just exploded. It's unbelievable. It was exciting. Um, there's colours new. We're joined at Scorchers, which had been attracting full sold-out stadiums. Um, every single one of my friends I grew up playing with had been contracted by one or two and me. So here I am thinking, oh, I'm really working really hard and I really want it and I've got all these things and the story running in your head around all that, but you're not involved. And for my background, having pretty much just cruised through the state it set up, come into Fury, yeah, I'd been dropped, had a few issues, but then when WBBL came along, and it was like, it really hit me pretty hard. And I didn't have any sort of coping skills to be able to, to cope with any sort of significant challenges. Okay, yeah. And one of those things that you've mentioned there, the inside the game being concerned about what's going to happen in the future yeah. is such a big distraction, isn't it? Yeah. We, the conversation that it seems so obvious when you're looking at the cold light today is that what you need to do when you're in the middle is just do what you've been spending all those hours practicing doing. Yeah. But having a mind that's cluttered with thoughts about the, the future and maybe the anxiety of that you've not had a score or whatever in the ones before then becomes very distracting. So with the WBBL starting and the case then that there's that much greater level of competition, something which by the sounds of you, you earlier parts of your career was was not present and you've got uh, as many as is it three overseas players being dropped into it yeah um so yeah the outside would think that's, that's exciting but um for yourself then that that feeds into this anxiety about about what your capacity is to to, to perform alongside there so what would you say in terms of at the beginning of that journey and missing out on on selection within that what mental skills do you have now to deal with those kind of adversities that you didn't have at the beginning yeah excellent question so that I like now missing out on WBBL is the best thing that happened to me because what it did is it instigated my path to learning about the whole mental side of the game and uh, one of the guys I follow quite a lot, Michael Gervais, says there's three things you can train. So you can train your craft, which in cricket, batting, bowling, fielding. You can train your body, so anything physical related, and you can train your mind. And the fact that I was missing this massive component, and from what I've learned now, is that for me, the mind sits on top of the other two, because you can't, unless your mental skills are not there. I, had all, I, I was always told, mate, you look so good in the nets. 
why don't you just go out and play like you do in the nets? I was like, well, do you think I'm not trying? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, the mental skills, and it's forever, I think I'm only scratching the surface of it in what I'm learning, um, but it, the crux of it comes down to having the skills to be, have a clear mind and to be able to play in the present moment. And that's what I think it comes down to. So there's a lot of things within that. Um, so getting towards having a clear mind, you've got mindfulness practices, you've got gratitude. So why are you playing the game in the first place? Are you grateful just to have this opportunity to play the game you love or are you still worried about all this other stuff that's happening? And all the other stuff becomes magnified as you earn higher levels. So I actually think if I was put into WBBL in that first year, I wouldn't have coped because I didn't have the sound structure to be able to have perspective and to be able to say, okay, there's all this stuff going on, there's fans, there's music, there's higher pressure, it's an intense game. And can you just, for me, I have an anchor of my breath, come back to your breath, come back to the present moment, come back to, uh, I like to say it's a one ball game, playing one ball at a time, and just trust in your technique. Yeah. So the ability to do that is trainable, and that's one thing I've learned. So... And there's lots of different ways to go about that. Um, probably something that I've a lot more experienced in my batting side of the game, but having taken up leg spin three years ago now, I'm actually struggling with the exact same things as I did with my batting now with my leggies, in that although I have a much better concept of all of this, putting it into practice. So I'm having to do regular so 20, 30 minutes of meditation a day, integrating the breath into my pre-ball routine, which routines are... I think the crux of it all and being able to stay present um, to be able to generate the positive intent belief confidence and take that from a training to game and it's it's a forever that's a never ending process mm-hmm. so for me to be able to get through from um, okay batting I was struggling mentally wasn't confident playing to not fail rather than playing to succeed I think I'm getting there with batting now now we've got bowling and I think even once I'm done with cricket, I'm sure there'll be something, whether it's work-related, family, relationships, I think you always have to go through that stage where you're not going to be flying, but having the sound structure of, yeah, I can improve. And the, my sort of philosophy around that is that there's no limits at the margins. So it's all well and good in saying, oh, no limits, you can do what you like, like, just dream big and you can get there. But in actual fact, someone like me, I'm... 160 centimetres, not naturally very strong. I'm not going to bowl 150 k's an hour. But what I can do, say if I'm bowling 100 an hour, I can get to 105. And it's that sort of mindset. So there's no limits at the margins. And if you can keep working away at that, I think no matter what challenges you get, you can always get better. Mm. Yeah, excellent. And I think that one of the big things of, of well-being in general, and perhaps... The one which dictates every aspect of it is people being able to understand themselves and being able to work out what works for them, what doesn't. And that example of, say, how quick you can bowl, yeah, everyone would like that kind of, the aspiration to be like, I want to bowl as quick as Dale Stain, I want to hit it as far as Chris Gale, I want to feel like, I think Paul Collingwood, I've just said there, um, going back a few years, <laughs> but whoever it is, um, I want to keep like Sarah Taylor, whatever it would be, yeah, that's that's great, but then just having that refining of it, uh, it is important because being re- being aspiration is great, but having that element of realism in it just makes yeah. sure that you you're not going to be setting yourself up for a fall. What I thought was was really really good at the, the beginning of what you've you've said there is 
had you made had you made the, the made it with the WBBI in that first year, you actually wouldn't have been in the right place to, to compete. And I think that's something in terms of people's mental skills that, that is worth reinforcing that if you don't deal with the the adversity or the or the difficulty of a situation that well, you miss out on a job promotion or you miss out on a particular squad, whatever environment you're in, that's worth people reflecting to think if I've dealt with this really badly and I'm bitter about it and I'm blaming the coach and I'm blaming this and blaming that you're going to have even bigger challenges when you're in that environment so if you're approaching it in such a a, a poor frame of mind then you're not going to be in the place to deal with those challenges later so perhaps you've been done a favour by being denied that opportunity because you can then work on some of the things whether, yeah, in Michael Gervais' terms, yeah, it may be going back to work on the craft element and saying, well, okay, I need to get more runs from some more wickets. But equally, it's to work on saying, well, I've missed out on this. What am I going to think as, as the next step? So you, your process has been a very, very positive in terms of the way you've approached it and the development of your mental skills and tapping into the endless resources that are out there if, if people actually make the first step and then do that with them. In the group that you'd have, that you've been with and that you'd observe within this, is there anyone that stands out as having a particularly strong mentality or someone who puts mental skills into effect particularly well within the WA setup or people coming in from overseas or, or anyone really? Yeah, I think that's another really good question. There's a couple of ways to look at this one. So if you're looking at from a pure performance point of view and pure cricket. Um, there's always one or two girls in every squad or boys, whichever you're playing, that clearly have that little bit of an edge. So in our Fury squad, we've got the likes of Nicole Bolton probably stands out for me, and she's the current Australian opener. In that I've seen her, she's a couple of years older than me, but I've seen her go through a few phases in her career. She was a standout, 16 years old in Aussie squads, unbelievably good. Her family, a WA in the club system, legends. Um, just the next superstar from the get-go. But then she went through a little phase in between where she was just so burnt out from it all, just quit. And I was like, what are you doing? You're going to play, like, you're dead set going to play for Australia. And she's like, no, nah, I've had enough. Two, three years out of the game, I think. Um, just completely out of it, got into some pretty horrible places. But then seeing her transition back and she was working her butt off. I've never seen anything like it and I've never seen anyone train like her before. The way she breaks up the game, the physical training, the mental training. Um, she hits with Noddy Holder down at Revos, which is a... He's renowned, he's Justin Langer's coach, very much into the spiritual side of high performance. And to see her come through, going through the ups and downs of the game and then to make her debut, she still didn't have a good path in. She made hundreds smashed the WNCL records batting-wise, couldn't get selected. Eventually, when she did, scored 100 on debut and hasn't looked back. So that's one part of it, whereas I really admire that from a cricketer or high-performance point of view. But the other side of it for me, and it's probably more important, if I'm honest, is the girls that really have your back when you're down. And for me, that's mental toughness. Mental toughness is being able to say, you know what, you're not the one making hundreds right now, but let's go out for a coffee let's have a chat or it doesn't even have to be as formal as that we just that training let's have a laugh together banter we're all really good mates here let's just let's just enjoy our cricket and for me when I first came in 
someone like Kate Burns, who's now retired from the game. She never cracked the Aussie setup, but she started cricket late. But we call her Mother Burnsy. She's just the loveliest person you'll ever meet. She'll look after you. I've still got this little card she gave me from my debut just out seven years ago where she just wrote down, mate, like, you deserve every opportunity. Um, just go out there, enjoy it, do what you do. Just little touches yeah. like that that no one else even thinks about. I think that's ment- and mental toughness. So be able to park yourself for a second and say, oh, let's, let's look up. We're a team here. This isn't where you really get stuck in our own brains. But we're a team and I'm going to look after my mates. So little things like that. I think there's definitely two sides to that question. Yeah, and sometimes, well, in fact, a lot of the time, when we look at mental skills training and when we look at how people develop mental toughness, strength, whichever word is associated, it does seem quite an individual thing. People will tend to do things like meditation or the practice of gratitude as an individual, and perhaps that is the, is the way it will always be for, for a lot of people because it is a personal thing about your mind. But we've got a, te- a team sport like cricket where, as you say, the ability to be able to step outside of your isolated mindset of what you're doing and how you're improving to then being able to support others and recognise that someone else needs that support, that, that context is is one that until even just this last week or so I hadn't thought a great deal about so within this last week I've had a couple of different people saying that as a measure of mental fitness and thinking yeah that makes a lot of sense someone being prepared to to move away from just looking out for themselves to to putting the team first Um, we've got then the other side two other things to, to, to talk about what you have also which of course exists across the men's game as well as the women's game is that you've got your stuff here at at the state level but then also you have your club structure so you said when you came into playing uh, playing cricket to begin with there's five clubs in Perth that had girls women's sections now there's 100 or so when you go back to playing club cricket what challenges are associated with that that are either the same or different to when you're playing at this higher standard? Yeah, so the club system here, although there's hundreds of teams at a junior level, the senior women's club system still reflects back when I started. So there's actually only five senior women's teams. Yet there's, yeah, it will grow down the track. Um, but right now it's, it's actually really challenging because the quality and the standard at a club level doesn't even come close to the state level unless you've got majority state girls playing at that club level. So the transition's really hard because you can come down from being at a club level where you're pretty much dominating or you're backing yourself in. The bowler's the fastest bowler you'll face is 20Ks an hour less. Um, they're dropping catches. or It's still developmental, but then to be able to get yourself up and be ready for the next standard is really tough. And But... The way we bridge the gap, I think, it comes through your training and your intensity that you bring. So the one thing that I've always tried to do is being at club cricket. Rather than complaining, we all do it, about the standard of it. Mm-hmm. Why don't we create that standard? So as senior players, we've got a, that's one thing we've done at Midland Guildford, which I know you went down and, and spoke to the guys there, is that we've got three or four, we've got four Fury players now 
we've been pretty successful over the past three or four years and that's because the senior players have come, like we've just made a decision to say, you know what, we're bringing the intensity here. And funnily enough, everyone else comes up with you. So yeah, it is, it is challenging, but at the same time, you can only really control what you can control. In another five years, I reckon the competition will be thriving. Sure. Um, yeah. So you've been there taking the step down in, in standard, but responsible for any chance there is of that standard improving and, and being someone even at the relatively tender age of 25 that is what we would refer to as a, a cultural architect and someone who is saying, yeah, you do have a choice, you could be passive and say, oh, the standard's not as good and moan about that and say, oh, they're dropping catches and this field is awful or to actually say, from, in some ways, a selfish perspective, you want to get as much out of the game to practice for the higher standard, but for those coming through behind you, you've got to leave your imprint on it. Um, how do you deal with expectation at that level? You're someone who's got a lot of experience of, of playing cricket. It might be that you're coming up against or people in your same team that, that are relatively new to the game, um, haven't tried and tested things as much. Do you feel that expectation for you to perform or you to be something in that environment is is a particular challenge? Yeah, I think so. Um, but expectation is something we put on ourselves. So that's something that the weight of expectation has changed through the years for me. Um, in one way, I'm still on the fringe, so I'm still battling for selection at the next level. But one thing that's changed for me at early doors in terms of club cricket is I place such high expectations on myself that even though the standard's lower, I'm still not performing. And that's really, really tough to deal with. And I know a lot of the girls do the same, whether it's from club cricket to state cricket or even from state cricket to Aussie level. Um, so that, those expectations, as I said, it's pressure you create yourself and it, it comes down to why you do what you do. So that's probably what's changed for me is having a better understanding. Early doors, why I was playing that game of cricket for Midland Guildford or I used to play at Subi Floriot was so I could get selected for WNCL. Whereas now I have to keep reminding myself when it's a forever evolving thing is that actually, no, I'm playing this game because I want to win for my club and for my teammates. And whether that results in my selection at the next level or not, we'll find out. Mm. That might sound like it's taken three, four years to cultivate and it's still, I have to forever remind myself and have practices in pre-game routines and things like that to, to cultivate that. But it is tough and a lot of the girls across the board struggle with it. Okay, yeah. That's something which is easy for the, the, the kind of recreational player to, to overlook. You've got a player maybe at, your, at, a, at someone's own club who comes back from in England a county or in Australia a state and straight away it's well we're going to be alright because this guy's yeah. going to score 100 or he's going to take loads of wickets and then you see on people's faces this kind of they can't believe it if the pro in inverted commas gets out or someone's hitting them for a boundary like well yeah. hang on he's, he or she's doing this for a living or they're playing at this level when in actual fact people who come up against you in that environment will be probably using that as a source of motivation saying well I'll tell you what I'm just as good as them or I'm going to show them that you know if things have been different it'd be me in their position so never it was easy mentally going down a, a standard it, it, it's probably 
it's a different challenge, but it's, it's probably something which is as much a challenge as, as going up there. Now, you also, so we've got the, the two sides of playing there that, that run relatively side by side, uh, but we've also got that you've coached a fair bit as well, or you do indeed, you, you, you do currently. So within that, would you say, how, your experience of playing, has that formulated a philosophy of how you approach coaching? Yeah, definitely. So with coaching, I've always enjoyed it. I Even in different sports, I coached a hockey team when I was just 17. I was coaching the under-15s. It's just something I've always had a passion for. Um, initially, my coaching reflected my philosophy on playing, which was the harder you work, get your technique right, get your base right, do all the physical things, get fit, and you're going to have success. And... Yes, that's 100% a very important one side of it. But having learnt what I've learnt so far in my career, I my general philosophy is two parts to it. I'm still kind of refining it to get it nice and compact. But one part of it is that there's no limits at the margin, um, which we, we spoke about earlier. The other part, it's what you do in sport, it's about becoming a better human. So everything we do is about becoming better people. If it means that the mode at which you're going to grow is through learning how to play a better cover drive, so be it. Because then, as you learn to play a cover drive, you might nail that in the nets, you go into the middle and all of a sudden find out that this Aussie bowler's come down and they're bowling pretty quick and you can't hit that cover drive. So you've got to become better in some capacity and it's in that process of finding out, okay, breaking it down, how do I get better at that? How can I closely replicate what I'm actually going to experience? And how can I put in systems in place and breaking things down, learning more about yourself, mentally, physically, whatever it is, to become better? I think you become a better human through that. So for me, sport, coaching, at the end of the day, it's just a game. Mm -hmm. But it is a great mode to actually become better and then impact others in that process. Yeah, no, excellent. And I think one of the things that I saw when we were having a wander around earlier in the, I think it was in the gym here, there was uh, a few quotes on the wall and I love that kind of thing. Some of the things a bit cheesy and like, yeah. oh yeah, oh, I think it's great. And and sometimes you look at them and you might not think they're that person. Sometimes you're like, yeah, brilliant, I've got to take a picture of this. And one of them, dead simple, um, which everyone would agree with in sports is we enjoy it more when we win. Yeah. So winning, of course, isn't everything. Winning can be, in some ways, papering over the cracks of things and you know you get complacent. And that statement, I mean, I don't know who the author of it is, I think acknowledges that you can still enjoy it when you lose, but you enjoy it more when you win, so you do put the extra yards in. But that thing for, for me, looking at that, and in the background of this, there was a, an image of the, the team that clearly won something, and that's why the quote was there. <laughs> and that, that camaraderie and that, that bond that people get from being... From, celebrating other people's successes and that must be a big part therefore of, of why we're involved in team sports because if you're uh, playing an individual sport and I've got nothing against individual sports by the way but you might celebrate your success with a coach or something like that yeah. if you win a final in cricket and you maybe haven't con contributed that much on paper but you're still part of that group and you're still uh, you still have that ability and I think what we're really keen as cricket is a vehicle for it is, I say this in the sessions, cricket has everything you need for, for good mental health. 
and that team aspect of it is so important. As you've gone through, and I speak to you a little bit like you've kind of you've, you've finished playing cricket, <laughs> when in actual fact you know you've still got probably as long as you want to play. Um, but you, I would say you're probably f- fairly unusual in a good way that you even at the, at the age that 25 that you're at, you've you're reflecting on it in a way that a lot of people might wait until after their career to do. What when we mentioned earlier the mental skills that you'd say you, you now have which help you deal with challenges, which help you view them as as challenges rather than problems. Which ways, if you could narrow it down to a kind of top three, which things would you recommend to, this is sort of an old school kind of thing, if you had some advice for a young player, <laughs> then, then what, for those uh, youngsters watching at home, that kind of thing, yeah. What would the three things mentally that you would advocate people to give a go to help them develop resilience and mental strength and mental fitness? Excellent question. Um, Top three things for me. The first one is recognising, and probably the most important, why, why you do what you do and becoming really aware of that and holding on to that. And that's probably the one thing that has carried me through in that always coming back to love of the game and that that's for me um someone else might be you know what my best mates play these are my teammates although i have to work all week saturday i get to enjoy a whole day with my mates so then when you're going out in the middle and you're struggling or you might be out of form a little bit just come back to your why so having a clear understanding of a why and trying to integrate that into how you go about your days so for me at the start of my day this is probably another one is having a really good morning routine where I almost remind myself of okay this is why I want to enjoy today the sun's come up today and my whole thing is about enjoying love of the game whether it's all love of what I'm doing at work so one side of it is understanding that why but then the second part make sure you have processes that actually remind you so whether I know there's a lot of good information out there in terms of having like whether it's affirmations a morning gratitude practice um, um, whether it's meditation practice or even having mental well this is probably the third thing is that the the well-being plan in that get away from the game sometimes so actually have some things that freshen you up there's so many different aspects and this is completely individual in terms of, for me, I love being around my family. I've got nephews, nieces, playing with kids, going down to the beach. I love a game of golf. And being, I've got to be disciplined in making sure I'm doing those because otherwise I just get all wound up in the world of cricket or in the world of work. So, yes, yeah, so a bit of a long way around that, but, but three ways for me is that well-being's key, understand why you do what you do and put in practices, daily practices that actually remind you of all of that. Excellent, yeah. And I think a good way of people considering this is, particularly that element of taking a step away, is with physical training for for sport, people acknowledge the importance of having rest days and, 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 and tapering things off at certain points, even if you feel like physically you can continue. So I've done a bit of running in the past and my running plan for a marathon, a half marathon has said, oh, this is the phase where you've got to do less. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to smash out more miles because I'm feeling yeah. good. But I've recognised, because someone who knows more about it than me has said, no, at this point you need to give your body a chance to rest. 
exactly the same with the mind so being able to say well even though I feel like I can do everything here take a break refresh and then come back and use that energy to to go ahead so that kind of thing there as we've gone through your your process that you've had here from the junior cricket to making steps forward towards state cricket with relatively few challenges at external wise to then reaching a particular point where those challenges seem to come almost all at the same time where the WBBL comes in there's the extra competition for places the anxiety around that but then the development of mental skills through perhaps the adversity and the challenge I think as people listen to this are things that we can look at across the board and equally the big thing which was mentioned uh, I think as a theme of this is a way to deal with challenge and it's bloody tough is to work out what you can control and what you can't control so you couldn't control who was brought in as an overseas international but what you could control was then how you reacted to that so going forward to this season uh, that we've got coming up here in Australia do you set yourself any any goals that are based on a like a performance indicator or or is there anything that you are wanting to set out to achieve as the season comes up yeah so the way i think goal setting is important but what's even more important is the way we set goals so for me i set goals that are purely dependent on how i progress as you said control the controllables as much of a cliche it is it's very true um so rather than setting a goal of I want to play six games for the Fury and I want a WBBL contract. Unfortunately, I'm not the one that makes the final decision in those. So I used to set goals like that and that was just probably one of the worst things I did. Whereas now for me, my goals are all around my performance. So I know that if I land 80% of deliveries, I'm taking a lot of wickets. So my end of season goal is to have 80% of balls driven back past me as a spinner that's that's kind of what you want or coming down the wicket and they're driving the ball so little goals like that or in batting um, development area I want to increase my boundary percentage so that's what I'm going to do and I think I have full control over executing those and that's good what's going to lead me to hopefully getting the outcome performance based goals that I want excellent so they're developmental aren't they as well yeah. things which can always be worked on whereas getting a certain amount of runs is that outcome is sometimes is outside of your control yeah. you might not get the number of innings the rain might come this might happen yeah. um, and this reminds me just to finish off of something that I think Tom Scully said that Tim Cahill was saying about he would reach this point in the week with his preparation where if he was satisfied he'd done everything that he needed to with his preparation he was at peace with going into that game because he knew that the outcome would take care of itself. Yeah. So he had a brilliant career at Everton, a really long international career, a quality player in the, the EPL, as we, people call it, outside of England. <laughs> um, and someone who, uh, just I'd say to people, imagine having that clarity where you're just thinking, yeah, I'm just going to go out and enjoy it because I know deep down I've worked my hardest to do that. So yeah, goals linked to backing your processes and knowing that you know you put the work in and the results 
will look after themselves and, and having that kind of peace for that. So thanks very much for joining me and I wish you all the best with the season coming up. All right, thanks Matt, it's been fun. Thank you.